from Moby.co, this is the flagship pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time the first full week of earnings season. We're on the back half of financial earnings and getting into the actual meat of earnings season this week and really into next week. Then we're going to unpack what's happening because this is very much a period of market winners and market losers. As always, I am joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good? How's this summer Friday finding you, man? Good so far. Happy to see the weather, you know, starting to turn a little bit. Hopefully market's turning too. Uh, you know, COVID is starting to be a little bit behind us uh, in the sense of some of these downstream effects. So yeah, excited to kind of dive into, you know, what earnings are bringing this week. Uh, we've seen lower inflation start so far. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to dive into and, and chat about. Exactly. And like, as we kind of look, you know, on the week by week basis here, WTI crude still isn't popping off after OPEC is limiting supply. So a lot of the inflationary pressures we were worried about for this month may not actually be there. So we may be looking at another great inflation print come May. But again, we'll have to wait for that actual print to happen. So a lot of really encouraging signs. But the most important thing, audience, is we have to figure out which companies are going to be winning and losing in their various sectors. Because inflation and high interest rates, that provides a lot, a lot of pressure for these companies right? So we need to see who the real companies are and who the real losers are. And so, Justin, let's just kind of go down the list. Kind of a mediocre week for banks, right? We had Bank of America, Goldman post earnings. Um, obviously, we were really worried about banks because any one of them could have shown a lot of weakness and kicked off another banking crisis. But what do you think about banking earnings so far? Is the financial sector like, you know, in a solid place? Or are we still like looking at a potential like weakness, black swan event, that type of nonsense, tomfoolery? So we definitely have a bit of a consolidation play right now. So if you look at, you know, JP Morgan, for example, they reported a very strong earnings um, report as the, the fallout from Silicon Valley Bank saw a lot more deposits coming their way specifically into their consumer banking line via Chase. Um, that ultimately is going to lead to a higher increase in net interest income uh, as more money's on their, you know, on their books and they're earning more interest as, as rates have gone up. Um, subsequently, the the deposit outflows have been down, um, and then also they have a lower cost of funds uh, with some of this longer-term debt uh, that they're issuing. So ultimately, you know, pretty strong earnings for them. Um, although going forward, uh, for them it should be a little bit different. But for most companies, they're going to start pausing, really starting to pause. You know, share buybacks, which has been a huge part of the last ten years um, in terms of artificially manipulating the stock price, so there's less shares outstanding which ultimately then pushes stock price further up. So JP Morgan won't be doing that as much, but Goldman will and a bunch of other banks. And speaking of Goldman, um, it again, it's been on a case-by-case -case basis, but with Goldman in particular, they haven't had as good of a you know an earnings call relative to JP Morgan. So when we look at theirs, um, we see again, yes, buybacks are slowing down pretty materially. Um, repurchase levels should go down. Um, and we think the slowdown makes sense because Goldman's kind of in the middle of a pretty big business shift. They're starting to sell, uh, get rid of certain parts of their business and portfolios, and which will give up earnings. But that ultimately then, you know, frees up capital if they're stopping these share buybacks in order to kind of share, shore up other sides of their business. They're getting rid of Marcus, which is their consumer uh, kind of banking, you know, thing that they went for for a little bit. Um, but wealth management and other sectors were really strong. so. What we're kind of seeing across the, the theme in the financial world is big banks getting more inflows. They're getting more net interest income uh, for, the, for the large players uh, when there was a flight to safety. 
Uh, wealth management has been a kind of strong area, but obviously M&A volumes are still down, which is a large driver at Goldman and some of these other institutions. So it's just going to be a little bit of a muted outlook for the near term. Uh, past that, when we start looking past, you know, specific banking trends, looking at spending trends, we're seeing some pretty strong uh, news come out of American Express and Visa, who are two of the largest, you know, credit providers in the U.S. Um, and so specifically, when we look at those two, where we're seeing the growth is actually in the corporate side of the world, which might be a little surprising. If you look at the consumer side, um, it's there's actually a bit of a start to be a little bit of a slowdown and in specifically with Amex an intra-quarter slowdown and for goods and services for U.S. consumers. But past that, there's there's really been a strong pickback up in um, like T&E. So like basically taking clients out and things at the business level, corporate travel. Um, so this, you know, there's more events. People are attending these events in per person, conferences, hosting client dinners. That T&E type spend is still running really hot. And for Amex specifically, it actually led to, you know, first quarter over quarter growth of almost 40%. Um, actually for year over year, sorry, not quarter over quarter. So loan growth, like their growth there is still kind of at, uh, is now, you know, better than it's been in a while, but overall numbers are still a little bit pre-COVID. So we'll still see strong, you know, growth probably over the next few quarters. So long story short, um, we look at these, uh, these kind of credit stocks and, and spending stocks, uh, as having really good tailwinds. Having said that Visa is close to trading back to its all-time high, which might sound really surprising. But corporate spending is still coming back in a big way. Corporate travel is coming back in a big way. Uh, we've been, you know, as part of that overweight Delta for some time, we have a re report on United coming out soon. But, you know, at a very high level, these are kind of the, the trends right now. Uh, we're seeing consolidation towards bigger banks. We're seeing spending shift from the consumer to the business. Um, but again, most of these companies are still going to be try and be pretty defensive, cut back a, a decent amount of spending given, you know, there could be, some sort of whether it be black swan event or recession right around the corner. Exactly. And that's kind of the two tiered beast we're watching right now, because as we watch, you know, consumer credit, you know, slow down a bunch. And as we watch certain certain companies, especially this week, really start to falter under the weight of rising costs. And we'll get to that more maybe later, maybe more to, uh, next week as we sort of like examine this further. We're looking for those moments that kind of turn this into a recession. Of course, the big news that's going to help us understand where we are sort of like nationwide is coming out next week. Actually, audience, if you're listening to the recorded version of this podcast, you're a day away from knowing. Um, the U.S. GDP number, which is going to come out soon. We had 2.8% GDP growth last uh, from in Q4, so we're hoping to see that growth continue. An actual recession, of course, is a decline in growth for two consecutive quarters, which means technically we kind of had one in 2021, but, you know, the people who <laughs> measure whether or not it's a recession or not were like, yeah, it doesn't super count. I don't know. So you can kind of say the recession already happened and we're recovering from it, or are we heading to sort of like a shallow, like the inflation's over, but um, interest rates are just hurting us too much, so we're going to see that kind of go down as well. So a lot of factors there that are playing out. But the reason that Visa's doing well in this environment is it kind of plays into our original thesis. If you go way back to literally a year ago as we started initiating coverage in Visa, we're kind of looking at whatever this inflationary environment, whatever this recession is, it's kind of a bifurcated recession. It's really a recession for, you know, lower levels of the U.S. economy, whereas corporate spending big spenders are going to keep companies like Visa afloat through all of this. So it's not going to sort of grind down all of the consumer market. It's going to 
only hurt like the the um, sort of like lower middle class, middle class, and and below, so to speak. So there are going to be companies who have strength through this, no matter what. As you know, as the American system kind of tends to do, only hurts folks like in that middle class space. Not you know, uh, retweets are not endorsements. Not saying oh that's a good thing. Just saying that's kind of what's happening with inflation, right? Some people have a lot of. Um, liquidity that can take on a lot of this like consumer credit situation some folks don't so we're going to see how that plays out moving forward moving on though justin as we kind of look to the rest of earnings season right um so banks you know we're seeing good things and bad things you did mention goldman real quick and there's already an audience question about goldman uh, one other big event that's kind of surrounding this question around consumer credit is actually apple uh they've been like creeping into financial services a bit. They've kind of nuked all the entire buy now, pay later movement with um, their BNPL offering. And this week, they also are now offering an actual savings account via Apple Pay with a absolutely obscene, not obscene, great 4.15% interest rate. Um, is that going to be something that kind of disrupts a little bit? Or is this just something that only helps Apple stock in the short term? If you just your quick hot take thoughts there, dude. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, to your point with Apple stock, how how it does. Um I mean, we're still we're still going through the numbers, so I, it it'll be interesting. You know, I, I don't know necessarily if we have a take on it right now. Uh, our analyst team is still looking into it. I, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to kind of review it and give your thoughts there. I mean, a Apple has the most like free cash of any company on earth. So if anyone can pull this off, it is Apple. But it's interesting that like this is the angle they're going for. We've been waiting for other products from Apple for a long time. Where's the Apple EV? Where's the Apple AR headset that's supposedly going to be launching at WWDC yeah. this year? Um, where are the big yeah, announcements? Yeah, I mean, Apple's just kind of trying to take over the world, right? It's like everything can be anything that can be done through your phone or you know through some sort of display they want to own. Um, so banking is a huge part of that. They've had the Apple Card for like Apple Pay rather for a long time. They have introduced the Apple Card. Now they're doing you know Apple Savings. They'll they'll probably do more banking and, and traditional kind of you know banking products, credit products. They might even start. I wouldn't be surprised one day if they start extending loans and doing mortgages i mean they they have the consumer products they have the banking products they they've done a, a huge amount of wearables and healthcare if you really think about you know apple watch and all the things they're doing there you know vr the car all, all these things are a part of it but i mean they just continue to innovate and, and be strong uh strong executors so like we we've continued to be overweight for them for quite some time yeah we will obviously because right now we're kind of in the dry phase of news for apple as the hype cycle begins to sort of kick off leading into wwc which is next month leading into their next product launch the main the only really interesting thing right now in apple is just seeing how much they are shifting production to india from china now that affects the u.s sort of china relations situation we've got going on but that's another conversation for another time apple's hype cycle is a month away so let's keep talking about what where we are in the present justin let's keep figuring out what's happening in the market at large. So uh, after banking, we kind of got into more consumer services. We saw some airline stocks do okay. But the main headline in the middle of the week came from Netflix, where we saw they're, they're just not hitting subscriber numbers, stocks tanking a little bit. Um, is streaming still a good business? Like, are we is, is Netflix able to pull out of this kind of dive? Or are they going to be having this issue forever until they actually start cracking down on password sharing? Yeah, I mean, the, with Netflix, it's interesting because they've hit such scale, it's hard to continue growing. But kind of key takeaway so far is they they are like the streaming winner more as more or less um so and they're already priced as current stock price so we're kind of equal weight until you know something dramatic happens outside of what they're doing now like they've hit such scale it's hard to you know price an additional upside past that uh pay sharing and the ad opportunities are significant opportunities for them 
Um, but they basically, you know, they're already largely captured and reflected in the stock price and the valuation. So it kind of creates this like equal balance of risk and return where we are right now. Uh, to your point, there's been a pretty slow rollout uh, of this like paid sharing. And so people aren't sharing accounts. Uh, and we saw it in Q1. It may end up leading to more like, you know, subscriber growth because um, they've only rolled it out in four markets this year, which is a lot less than expected. So that does create like a favorable, you know, year over year comparison looking forward, potentially for some more like growth vectors. But it also then may increase churn if people, you know, don't want to be using the accounts as much anymore. So, you know, it's hard to really say how that will go. So there's a little bit of uncertainty around this timetable and how it creates potentially or not a wider range of net ads um, in the long run. So ultimately, we're kind of tracking them around what the street is in terms of the consensus expectations um, for go forward additions, you know, given what we've seen over the last decade plus of their business. Um, past that, the only thing that would really probably make us more, you know, bullish on the stock at their current levels is that when we look at the stock right now, Netflix's kind of premium and their overall valuation reflects this expectation that top line growth, like all of a sudden, like, you know, is flat. We're not flat, but it flat to moderately up for the next uh, quarter or two through the end of 2023. So if we wanted to support like expanding our multiple evaluation, we would really want to focus on Netflix's ability to continue to actually look at the content side of the business and ultimately use that to help drive margin growth. So if Netflix all of a sudden can either acquire different platforms or sorry, acquire different content for cheaper or able to roll out more original content and are getting synergies across their media producing business and that helps drive margins down, ultimately that could then push the valuation of the stock even higher. Um, it's going to be a little difficult because there is slowing cash that's ultimately getting pumped into content spend. Um, but we should get some probably more proof points around that later this year into early 2024. So long story short, probably think the stock is pretty fairly valued, not a ton of upside left. So we're not net buyers of the stock at this point. We're, we're going to be watching to see if there's a huge like ads as they like start pushing more and more people off the platform in terms of, you know, the the, uh, how they're sharing passwords. But outside of that, I think the biggest opportunity is really going to be on the cost cutting side as it relates to, again, creating content at scale uh, and driving down margins because we're driving up margins by driving down costs. So that'll be something we watch for, but that's not going to come out really those numbers until then back a half this year. So if you're watching on what we're doing is just, you know, for whatever position we've initiated, we're holding on, we're not adding any more and we're just waiting to get more information. Which makes sense, like when you're looking at the actual numbers, but since a lot of the folks asking me questions right now are degenerates looking for speculative reasons to invest <laughs> in Netflix, let me give you a couple real quick. So first and foremost, audience, um, if you're looking for Netflix doing more experimentation, you can look to them this very week trying to do a live rollout of one of their biggest shows, Love is Blind. They tried to do a reunion episode as a live stream. That f It was so popular that it failed, like too many people tried to watch it. So Netflix has completely cornered the reality TV market, and sure, they failed spectacularly 
spectacularly and people say, I'm never watching Netflix again, but they'll come right back when they try again. And that's a great revenue opportunity for various partnerships you can do within live broadcasts. Since, you know, live is just always going to be a great advertising media. There's a reason the NFL is a great business and there's a reason there's an XFL and USFL now too, because ads just really work in that live sports media. These kind of live streaming medias are going to work really well. And then if you go back to Netflix gaming as well, if you're a consummate weirdo like me, you know that Netflix got a huge win this week, or actually more like last week, when they managed to snag Joe Staten from Microsoft. If that doesn't mean anything to you, Joe Staten is behind some of the most um, lucrative gaming franchises of all time. He's the guy who made Halo, basically, or Halo 3 ODST, as well as led Halo Infinite out of a very bad development cycle. Now he's going to be leading development for a unnamed AAA title at Netflix Gaming. The fact that Netflix is even trying to do AAA gaming is super interesting. So a lot of really, if you want to make like a weird bet on Netflix, just understand live streaming and gaming might actually be something very interesting there or a head fake, but nothing fundamental is making them a good investment right now. But Justin, that finally gets us halfway through the actual episode itself into what I'm going to say is like the main event here because the biggest sort of hit we saw this week was Tesla earnings and a day Wednesday. We saw Tesla stock go down over 10% on, you know, we're freaking out, dude. Uh, Tesla's reducing prices across the board. Prices of most Tesla vehicles have gone down six times this year. Um, I mean, the Model Y is down like 20%. The Model 3 is down 11%. It's pretty crazy, honestly. So, Justin, can you kind of take me through this? Like, what's going on at Tesla? What on earth are they doing in terms of reducing their prices? Like, margins are everything for Tesla right now. So, can you kind of take me through that? Can we kind of start, like, unpacking this and see how the whole EV space is evolving now that Tesla thinks that a volume volume play is the right way to go yeah it's it's really interesting because to your point like the margins and how profitable ev or can can or cannot be in the long run is ultimately what's driving a lot of this you know creating these cars isn't the hardest thing in the world but creating them profitably is extremely hard given the inputs given how much we support uh source from other areas and tesla again is so much further ahead than everyone else in terms of looking at the margin uh, how they produce in, at profitability, especially at scale. So when we look specifically at Tesla, we're seeing them enter kind of a new phase and not only them, really the rest of the industry. And so what's happening right now, to your point, is Tesla is reducing prices. And what, that, what we see that is, is really just a very strong um, kind of output of what's really going on in terms of supply and demand in the markets right now. You know, year or two years ago, there was a ton of demand, not a ton of supply. Um, and today, the dynamics have changed a bit to the point now where Tesla, like their long-term goal is eventually to be producing this at volume and at scale. And yes, does it hurt margins today in order to, to push down prices 1,000%? But we believe it still gives them more ability or more market share and the ability to do that because no other company really can. And so when we look back kind of at a history lesson of of Tesla, we see this company constantly evolving. So, you know, back in 2013, when they first launched their first car, the Model S, they're trading at 6 billion, which is crazy because they were near a trillion at some point, you know, in the last year. Um, but no one thought they could do it and people were, were laughing. Fast forward to 2018, and then Tesla starts consistently to generate profits in excess of regulatory, like the regulatory credits they were getting, which is they're one of the only companies to do that. And then investors saying, whoa, like now they're profitable. They're growing fast in just a five-year gap. Then in 2019, Tesla begins production in China. Um, and they're starting to, like, again, generate now instead of just more profit, they're generating higher cash flow and higher margins. And now we're thinking, okay, they don't necessarily need external capital. They're self-funding. 
Well, fast forward today, and now Tesla has achieved industry-leading margins in cash flow, and they're driven, more or less being driven by unmatched scale in EVs that you're not seeing elsewhere. So where does this kind of leave Tesla going forward? As I was saying, I think this is now a new phase for the industry and for Tesla specifically. At the end of the day, we still believe Tesla represents a much better risk-adjusted opportunity than pretty much any other EV name. Um, they have cost and energy and engineering leadership well over like well over anyone else in terms of expertise. And they have a ton of growth potential vectors, whether it be via revenue um, or via even cost cutting. They're just so far past the competition. Um, but investors probably are going to need to prepare for over the shorter term a, a huge number of trade-offs in order to get that, you know, continued industry-leading car and numbers. And so what that means is lower gross margins, uh, lower operating spend, uh, and then by doing that, they'll be ultimately driving higher EV market share. Um, and so despite the increasing competition, we believe Tesla is still going to be in this position to expand its relative cost leadership. It's going to drive more cash returns. And honestly, over time, we just inspect that Tesla will continue to outshine others. There'll probably be a mass consolidation. So they'll buy others. Other people will merge together. But things are, are playing out in real time. You know, GM was a huge player a year or two ago. They started today. But we were talking about Mercedes, we were talking about Porsche, and now we just released a report the other day talking about Ford and the efforts they're making there. So things are changing all the time. The one constant is, is that Tesla still is so far past everyone. Margins will be compressed in the short term, 100%. It is pushing the price to, you know, down a, a steady amount. But over the long run, again, multi-year time horizon, we still continue to love this stock. And it's really, I think, the most clarifying thing about this, rather than saying, oh, the sky is falling, Tesla's reducing prices, what are they doing? It's not about Tesla right now, it's about, we finally have clarity, Justin, over who Tesla sees as their competition. Tesla has managed to get a lot of this margin play off of their ability to brand themselves super well, and we thought branding meant that Tesla was always going to try to be more of a luxury play, and so that meant that moving forward, Tesla would think of Mercedes as their principal competition moving forward. But reducing their prices like this, Elon Musk talking about the volume play and the earnings call, we now know who Tesla is the most afraid of, and it's the Ford Motor Company, which is why our analyst team managed to put together a pretty solid report on exactly why Ford is not a threat, but a really strong force in the EV space moving forward. We initiated coverage in Ford, finally, um, based a lot on the realignment they did last month. Ford is completely restructured how they're doing their things corporately. They are going to be doing um, three verticals now, for, uh, one focused on just their traditional auto, auto vehicles globally, one focused on EVs in Europe, North America, and China, and one focused on their really actually very high margin corporate products. And so I'm really excited to see how this kind of plays out. The thing that makes Ford valuable in the EV space is frankly just, you know, Ford cozying up with the U.S. government. Ford has structured a lot of really strong supply chain moves based around Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. They opened a massive battery plant in Michigan that is 100% owned by Ford, but basically financed by a Chinese battery firm. So imagine having a Chinese battery plant put in Michigan, kinda. They're gonna be licensing that technology to cattle, but um, everyone kinda wins because they're gonna get huge tax breaks. Same deal, uh, Ford also locked in a massive deal mining nickel in Indonesia, and if you listen to Tesla, they're saying, okay, the thing we're worried the most about is nickel. So Ford securing a huge nickel supply in Indonesia is gigantic. I mean, Tesla's gonna get into mining too as well, but where are they gonna go? Are they gonna try to compete in Indonesia? Are they gonna go to Western Australia? Are they gonna stick with their buddies in China? We'll see how that all plays out. So a really exciting time in the EV space as we're finally seeing the competitive landscape emerge. It's not Volkswagen, 
Volkswagen. It's not Porsche. It's not Mercedes. It is Ford v. Tesla. I'm super jazzed for it, Justin. Like, it's great because Tesla has just had a very tough, I'm sorry, Ford has had a very tough time in the past, like, five years trying to see where they're going to be going. The entire auto industry got completely smashed by the COVID-19 pandemic, and the reason Tesla got so valuable is because they were able to produce vehicles cheaply still during the supply chain shocks since their manufacturing process is so simple. The thing with EVs is they're expensive to make, but simple to make. You're just making a big pile of battery parts and a big old, like, hunk of metal that's their motor with a bunch of expensive stuff inside, but it's not a million different plants scattered across the United States, Mexico, Canada, and certain other parts of the world. They come together and make one of the most complicated things ever built, the internal combustion engine. So really excited to see that kind of take shape. But when you look at the competition between Tesla and Ford, I mean, is, uh, yes, Ford now has more vehicles getting tax breaks than Tesla does. Ford has six, Tesla has five. That changed this week. But Justin, do you see Ford being actually competitive with Tesla anytime soon? Or is it one of those things where like Ford just kind of wins by being in second or third place, really? Yeah, I mean, so it's not a winner-take-all market by any means. So to your point, like Ford can easily do great by transforming themselves to, you know, their combustion-based engine to more of EV model over the long run. And, you know, second, third, fourth place ends up, you know, still increasing their stock price and their value a ton. It's going to take years to play out, but, you know, it, it doesn't look like they're necessarily going to be the the winner. Um, they, they've made a lot of strides, but Tesla... You know, they really started this project almost a decade before everyone else. So they're they're still like really light years ahead. But being in second, third, fourth place in a, a completely new market isn't a bad thing. We're still hedging our bets with, you know, newer players like Lucid and Rivian. You know, I know their stock prices, have, especially Rivian, has gotten crushed. Still hopeful for them in the long run. And we can use them as bets to hedge other parts of the EV industry um, from a front end facing perspective, not necessarily on the supply chain side. But, you know, Ford. You know, we're we're not looking at them as like a an opportunity to beat Tesla, but given where they trade today and their upside capability, they might have, you know, even more upside on a percentage basis than Tesla does, even if they come in second or third place. Exactly. And I think that's the most important thing to keep in mind. So I'm really excited to see how the EV industry develops. It's really disappointing seeing Rivian get absolutely smashed off of a lot of concerns around how they don't kind of line up with the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm really excited to see them shift their perspective and shift their focus because they're just kind of out of alignment a little bit with potential tax breaks moving forward. They keep they keep underestimating deliveries and then saying, oh, never mind, we're actually going to make deliveries this year. So I think we'll see Rev Rivian level out as they, you know, get through all these different partnerships, realign their manufacturing processes you know unionize let's go um lots of little things they can do to sort of like bring that value back up right so really eager to see how the ev space develops um and i'm really excited to see how ford kind of emerges as this not not like it's not oh ford's gonna beat tesla and tesla's not gonna tank in value or anything but i'm really eager to see how the ev space trends in this direction because the main thing is if everyone's going for volume that's going to increase the available availability of for evs for everyone and that's going to sort of you know help us get to this green future get out of like all of the sort of risks we have with climate change of course that's a very long tail view there so just a very exciting time in the whole industry regardless justin we're kind of getting up on time here it's been a really solid week we're looking forward to a lot of really awesome stuff next week as well and gdp is going to be the biggest thing it's going to be a big week for farmer earnings as well so we can finally start talking about the healthcare space and how all that's playing out as well but justin any final thoughts from you anything we kind of missed before we go ahead and read the credits here as always i'm amazed this conversation was uh, as long as it was considering how fast it felt yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a good conversation. Uh, we talked about it briefly last week. Um, again, these AI tools uh, from a disruption standpoint are are going to fundamentally change, you know, the way 
we all think about the economy and efficiency. Um, if you even think about inflation, uh, the one way to push inflation down without you know artificially uh, changing demand, which is what the Fed is trying to do, is by changing supply. And these tools can make people significantly more efficient, which ultimately means that we can then create significantly more products for people at the, at the same price, which is what efficiency is a measure of. So I'm not saying, you know, GPT and these AI tools are going to do this tomorrow, but over the long run, this is a way for us to keep costs down by outsourcing things, pushing costs down. Um, you know, the same thing that you could use uh, a customer support person for, you might be able to use GPT now for a tenth of the cost. And because you can use it for a tenth of the cost, now your company is that much more profitable. You can create more products and ultimately creates more supply, which then pushes inflation down. So over the long run, I view these technologies and we view these technologies as anti-inflationary. There's obviously a lot of potential negative that comes with it, but there's just be new applications being built every day that's fundamentally going to change the economy. Um, and, and like I said, every day it's something new. Like today, you know, we saw like an AI tool that helps you create memes and it helps you create art. And there's one that like, during your Zoom calls, we'll ultimately track your entire Zoom call. Instead of giving you just a transcript, we'll give you the consolidated points, the action points, and next steps and action items, and then automate it to your email so you can follow up with people. I mean, that could be someone's full-time job. So like these tools will be evolving every day. And just like crypto, just like the beginning of the EV space, there will be a mass reckoning. So most of these companies will go out of business. Some tools will or will not be helpful. They'll be used, adopted at scale. It's hard to tell which will be which. But the biggest takeaway is that these will be utilized and it will fundamentally change efficiency, which will affect inflation, it'll affect economies, uh, and it'll affect scalability of, of companies, I think, in a way we've never seen before. Everyone keeps calling it the iPhone moment, and I believe it truly is. Rightly so is called the iPhone moment. And audience, I know a lot of you are asking, okay, so how do I invest in this space? I want you to know that we've already started building our AI portfolio on our long-term research panel here in our ear in the Mobi app. So if you want to get a better sense of the long-term perspective we have in AI, you can go to mobi.co slash go, sign up for a free trial, see what we're talking about specifically this week as we build, at the, build the foundations of our AI portfolio. I'll be straight with you right now. Like it is way too soon during this iPhone moment to see exactly which services are going to win. So right now in AI, we are focused on the players who are going to get paid no matter what. So the number one article I want you to check out, audience, is one on NVIDIA we did earlier in the week where we're talking about how NVIDIA kind of double dips in the AI space. There's two ways they get paid, both on the training and operation of AI. And there's one surprising software player that we've been looking at for a while and finally feel confident about getting back in sort of and seeing how they're going to be part of the AI enablement movement. So if you're investing in a gold rush, always find those dudes selling the shovels, y'all. Don't go after the actual gold yourself start selling shovels so nvidia is one huge play i know it seems like nvidia is super overvalued but the revenue opportunities they have for mastering sort of like how gpus can power both inference engines and the training of artificial intelligence is absolutely wild like both of those revenue opportunities can have multiple like four five six x opportunities in the next five years in terms of revenue so super excited to see how nvidia kind of corners the chip space and now we're looking next into software architecture things that can make the very expensive process of running ai models cheaper so we got two reports out in that regard check that out mobi.co slash go but with that audience we are you know approaching the actual time uh, we're approaching the end here audience so as always i really appreciate your time justin kramer ceo co-founder and chief analyst here at mobi.co any final thoughts from you before i go ahead and read the credits here
Hope all good, man. Good episode as always. Hell yeah, dude. Okay, audience, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for us, you can always hit us up at helloatmobi.co or find us in our Discord. We're currently revamping our whole app soon. There might be you might be seeing a lot of like new stuff there. Please check it out. We've been working really hard getting new stuff to you. If you're having trouble with your account, we're seeing all those reports coming in. We will absolutely help you out, get you into our new version of our app. It's awesome. It's way more streamlined and way better for you all to get the information you need. For, furthermore, folks, if you have any questions about our actual sort of intellectual value, you can hit us up at helloatmobi.co. With all that in mind, though, audience, make sure you're checking us out over on um, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter as well to sort of ramp up sort of the day-to-day -day operations there. And make sure you sign up for our email list as well as we'll give you sort of like a daily pulse check for the actual markets in our end of day and beginning of day email. Regardless, audience, thank you so much for listening. Just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual value you get from both this podcast and Moby.co in general comes from our awesome analyst team, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Regardless, audience, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. And as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.